197. Uh, tonight we're going to be doing a different uh, sermon than I initially planned. Um, I had planned on finishing the Colossians series, and uh, it just didn't work out. I was uh, traveling and uh, decided to do one sermon for both the morning and tonight, so if you were there this morning, um, uh, I, I apologize. Maybe God has something in, uh, separate in it for you tonight. Um, What we're going to be talking about tonight is out of the book of 1 Kings, and um, some of you know by now that I really enjoy studying and reading the prophets. Um, I think it's because I'm a little cynical and a little uh, realistic by nature, and when I read the prophets, it resonates a lot more with me than other stories I sometimes read. Um, But maybe it also just makes me feel better about my life, uh, because when I read the prophets, I realize that some of them went through some really hard things. Uh, and tonight we're going to be talking about the prophet Elijah. Uh, much of first and the beginning of Second Kings is devoted to him, and um, the, he teaches us a lot. And tonight, um, especially, uh, we see something really powerful. And, and many of you might f- be familiar with this story, or might um, sort of know what's happening. But if you don't, uh, don't worry. I'll give some background into why these events are happening. So please follow along with me. First Kings chapter nineteen, starting in verse one. And we'll go through to verse 10, or verse 9, excuse me. Now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, if you're not really familiar and didn't grow up in Sunday school like me, you may not know the story, so I'll give you a short version. Uh, Before this, Elijah had sort of a face-off with these prophets of Baal or Baal. Uh, The king of Israel was a guy named Ahab, and his wife was named Jezebel, and she worshipped a different god. And she had all of these prophets, and they had a competition. And the competition was to see whose god would light a fire on an altar. And the prophets of Baal danced and and, and tried to do all these different things, and it didn't work. And then Elijah, just to sort of show off, doused his altar in water, called on the Lord, and it burned up. And all the people said, this is our God, not this God. And they went and actually killed all of these false prophets. Uh, False God lost, real God won. And it was a great victory for Elijah. And more importantly for God's people, because they had wandered away from serving their Lord. They had wandered away from their covenant with God. And Elijah felt that things were finally going to go his way, I think. To to go alongside this story, there was also a drought. 
There was also a great drought that God had allowed to happen in Israel, and, 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 and the drought was over, and all of these good things were finally happening. And I think for Elijah, he was so excited. You know, if you know his story, he had an uphill battle his whole life trying to get people to turn from their evil ways and turn to God, and it finally was going right. Good things were happening. But as with many things in life, (laughs) there are critics. There are people who are not happy when things are going well for us. Specifically, the queen, who had just lost all of her prophets, who they'd all been killed. And the scary thing about it is she was still the queen and still in power. And so she says to Elijah, basically, I'm going to kill you. Now, I don't know what your response would be. I know that um, if a ruling authority told me they wanted me dead, I would try to run. And so Elijah, to his credit, does just that. In verse 3, he says very clearly that he was afraid and he ran for his life. And I don't blame him for it. And then in the verse, verse 4, we get this insight into his heart and into his mind and what he might have been thinking. In verse 4, Elijah prays. And he says that he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. And he just said this. Now, how many times have we been here? Elijah just prays this honest prayer. I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I've tried. I've served. I've done everything I think I'm supposed to do. Everything you've put in front of me. And I failed. I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. Elijah's a great prophet. He's a man of God. I mean, he's... practically speaking back and forth with the Lord of the universe, and yet he says, it's better that I would have died because I can't do this anymore. I tried to fix the problems of my ancestors. I tried to correct the mistakes of my fathers and fathers before them, and I failed. And unfortunately, many of us know what this feels like. Maybe it's on a small scale. We, we, we failed a test. We failed a class. Some of us had to take many, many classes over and over again. Maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's a job, maybe it's something even bigger than that. And something doesn't work out, or we feel like a failure and we wonder, God, why is this happening? Or some of us, maybe you're a little bit more proactive than Elijah here, and so instead of wallowing or being sad, instead we do something that's even worse, I think, and we we sort of try to self-sabotage, or we do something, or we try to blame the situation on someone else. Whatever our reaction is to failure, inevitably it's the same problem that we feel bad. Whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, whether it's pain, Elijah says, I'm no greater than my ancestors. He tried to do everything he could to turn things around for God, to turn things around for the people. He gave his very life and he failed. Failure is terrifying. Failure is absolutely terrifying because we wonder, what do people think? What do people see? And what's even worse about this, what's even harder about this story, I think, is that Elijah was serving God. He wasn't trying to start a business. He wasn't trying to do something selfish or something that maybe could be, you know, he he was serving God. He was doing exactly what God had called him to do, and it didn't work. Have Have you ever had this happen where you were sure God wanted something? You were absolutely positive. This is what God was going to do, and you were going to help him do it, and it was going to be great, and it was going to be wonderful, and at the end, there would be great rejoicing. The prophets are just, the prophet, the false prophets are killed, they're destroyed, the drought is over, and all of people of Israel are worshiping God again. But it didn't happen that way. 
It didn't happen that way for the great prophet Elijah. Instead, he failed, and he felt like a failure. And so here we have this question, what then does God do? How does God respond? You know, many people might think that God would judge him for for quitting, say, no, you get up, you keep going, you do what you need to do. Many people might think that God would correct him or that God would immediately tell him what to do, that he did something wrong, maybe a little adjustment in how he went about it. No. It says, an angel of the Lord touched him. And, God, and the angel of the Lord just says to him, just get up and eat. Just get up and eat. Just, just have a little something to eat. I know you're tired. I know you're burned out. I know you're exhausted. Just have something to eat. And he goes back to sleep. And then it happens again. He says, get up. Eat. Just have something to eat. You'll feel better. You need this for the journey ahead. No judgment. Just help in this time of need. In the midst of his failure, in the midst of his hurt and his pain, God simply comforted his servant. God came and loved him. And what's amazing to me is some people argue that, well, I like Jesus, you know, because Jesus was really loving and Jesus was really kind and Jesus was all about helping your neighbor. But the Old Testament God is just so violent and so angry and so evil. And I, I read this and I think, I see a God who loves his servants so much. Are people actually reading this? Or are they just focusing on the things they want to see? Because when we read the Bible, I see over and over and over again God loving and caring and nurturing and meeting the needs of his servants time and time again, even in the midst of failure. See, God is such an interesting entity, I guess, but we know he's just, and he wants things to be just, and he wants things to be right, but he's also very, very loving. And if you think about where these two things, loving and justice, come together, it's where it meets us in mercy. Our God is a merciful God. God is loving, God is just, but when it comes to us, he is merciful. Because even though he is just, he is also loving. And in verse 9, after a few days of comfort and some travel and some helping, he simply asks Elijah a question. And he just says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's not judgment. It's not saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're wasting time. You're not doing something right. No, 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 no. He's simply helping Elijah refocus. He says, what are you doing here? And if you read the story as it goes on, He replies in verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He just says to God, listen, I'm trying. What more can I do? And God, this is the story then when God speaks to him in the still, soft voice. And then in the very next story, he goes and God gives him Elisha, a helper, to to, to help him with this heavy burden. But when he asks him, what are you doing here? He's not judging him. He's trying to get him to refocus and say, Elijah, what's important to you here? I know what just happened was awful. And I know you're scared and you don't think this is going to work out, but what's most important to you? What are you doing here? And what's hard for me is I look at this story and I think, okay, he was a prophet. It's in the Bible. Of course it's going to work out in the end, right? But it's hard for me because I wonder if God had called Elijah to this, why didn't God intervene? You know, God could have changed the hearts of the people. God could have changed the heart of Jezebel. God could have dealt with Jezebel. And actually, he does um, in 2 Kings chapter 9, if you don't know the story. Um, and I'm not making this up. 
uh, Jezebel falls out of a window and gets eaten by dogs. So Jezebel gets taken care of. Um, it's 2 Kings 9, verse 30 through 33. Uh, it's one of those stories you never hear in children's ministry. I don't know why they ever, ever tell that story. Uh, the, other one, the other one I always talk about with, with the, the youth is uh, the story in 2 Kings when Elisha calls out the bears and it kills 42 youths. Um, we can talk about those another time. But, but God handles Jezebel. It wasn't about Jezebel. See, this story wasn't about Jezebel and how she was evil and how Elijah needed to conquer and, and, and defeat that. I think this story was about Elijah and God. And I think God allowed this to happen and knew this would happen and just said, Elijah, what is most important to you? I will handle the evil. God says, I will take care of the evil and injustice in this world. That's not your job. What's important is how Elijah was with God and relied on God. Elijah was focused on his task, but now it was time for Elijah to focus on God again because God knew that he had more for Elijah to do. God will take care of evil and injustice in the world. And let me say this to you as well. God will take care of the evil and injustice. That's not your job, is to conquer evil. Your job is not to conquer all the injustice and and, and to win all of these battles. That's God's job, and he will. I think sometimes we're afraid of failure, too, because we wonder... We wonder and we think, well, maybe if I fail, I've done something wrong and I'm far from God. Or God, doesn't, God isn't there and God isn't with me. But that's not the truth. We see in Elijah, in the midst of his failure, his desire to still serve God, his desire to still be with God. You know, and many of you know that I love C.S. Lewis and I quote him all the time. And as I said this morning, it's not going to be Narnia this time. But I am going to quote this, and you may have heard it before. But if not, please hear this. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. So in another way, he's saying he who has millions of dollars and everything is going well and has God has no more than the man who has one dollar to his name but has God. Or he who has great success and wealth and is looked up to but also has God has the same as the man who has nothing and is sitting in failure but still has God. Because God is what matters, and God is what we need and desire, and God will resolve the disputes and the failures, and he will take care of the injustice of this world. And in the midst, he'll take care of you. And in the midst, he'll care for you. He may not miraculously make a cake appear. Sometimes I wish he would. But he'll care for you. He'll meet your needs. He'll meet you there when you are broken down and feel like you... I mean, I love how honest he is here. He just says outright, I've had enough. I've I've just had enough of this. I'm sick of failing. It's not working. People don't listen. Why am I doing this? If you think about your failures, you think about what you've gone through in life, it's embarrassing. It feels like it's too much to bear. It feels like it's too much for us. But it's not too much for God. And I know it sounds a little cheesy that, oh, well, God can handle it, but he absolutely can and he absolutely will. We all know what it feels like to fail and we know that doubt creeps in and we wonder if God is there and we wonder what in the world God could be doing. But I think about Scripture and I think about these people. I even think about a person like Jonah. A person like Jonah, a prophet Jonah, who failed because of his own poor actions. 
He did all the wrong things, and God still showed him love and mercy in the midst of his failure. You know, one of the lines from the book of Jonah is that God's mercy always trumps his judgment. And looking at Elijah, when I see his failure and I see his downtrodden spirit, I see God. You know, I was on my trip and I finally got around a book I've been wanting to read for years. Uh, some of you are very familiar with the children's tapes, Veggie Tales. Um, and they're great if you've never seen them. They're these little vegetables that hop around without arms or legs and they tell Bible stories. Uh, and VeggieTales are great for a lot of reasons. Um, but the guy who created it is a guy named Phil Vischer. And I've met him a couple of times, and, and I've always wanted to read his autobiography. Because if you know the story of VeggieTales, it started in the mid-90s, and it grew. And it got so big so fast that it actually grew too big and sort of it, it imploded on itself. It just couldn't sustain the growth as a business. And there were some leadership problems and all these different things. And eventually the company failed and, and died. And the guy who started it, his name's Phil Vischer, uh, and, and he's a really neat person. But he writes this autobiography telling the story of the rise and fall of VeggieTales. And it's, it's great, it's funny, it's a really good book. But as he gets to the end, he starts talking about the lessons he learned. And I mean, he, he basically drove a multi-million dollar company nose first into the ground. I mean, because of him, hundreds of people lost jobs. People who had relocated from all over the United States to move to this town to start this thing and to be part of something amazing, this God-centered entertainment thing, and it just collapsed. And he writes, and he says he felt like a failure. People were writing letters. Once the company got bought by a a non-Christian company, people were writing letters and saying, how could you do this? You failed God. You failed our family. I'll never buy. I mean, people were writing hate mail to him. He was embarrassed. He felt like a failure. He felt like his whole life calling that had built up to this one moment that he ruined it. And towards the end of the book, he says this, and this was kind of his big takeaway. And and I, I was reading this, and it just struck me so much and made me so happy that I wanted to share it with you. He said, God doesn't love me because of what I can do for him. He just loves me. Here's this man who, because of maybe some poor leadership choices or because of something he did wrong or maybe never did in the first place, and he's worried, and he's scared, and he's feeling guilt that he didn't do something right for God or that he let God down. And he says, God doesn't love me because of what I can do for him. He just loves me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me assure you, when you fail, God will be there to care for you. Whether it's in something that God called you to or whether it's something that you wanted to do on your own, God will help meet your needs. He will care for you. And when you are ready, he will come to you and he will say, what are you doing? He said to Elijah, what are you doing here? For you, it may be a completely different question, but he will get you back on track. What are you doing here? What's most important? Is it me? Or is it the vision? Is it the goal? Is it the thing you've set in front of yourself? Or is it me? In the end, Elijah did everything he could everything God wanted him to do, and there was still failure. But we learn from the prophet as we keep reading, and I would encourage you to in your own personal devotions this week. He goes on to do further great things. See, I'm convinced that God is doing great things in this world all the time. 
We just don't see them. And sometimes when we get so focused on our own goals and our own vision and what God has put in front of us, in a good way, we forget that God's church is going to keep going, that God's mission is going to keep going, that God is doing amazing things all over the world, and we wonder, where is God? And God says, I'm right here. And sometimes it's a good thing. I mean, if you look at the Mark chapter 5 reading that we read, the the demon-possessed man gets healed, and he goes and he tells the world all the great things Jesus did for him. And I think that when we hear stories like this, the Veggie Tales guy, and when we hear stories like Elijah, and we hear God being glorified, even in the midst of failure, it encourages us. So I would tell you, one, don't be afraid of it, and two, if you have failed, go and tell the world about it. <laughs> if, if you have failed, go and tell the world about it and tell the people how God met you there. And if God has done great things in your life like the demon-possessed man, go and tell the world about that too. Because God will have the victory over this world and all of its evil. That's not our job. Our job is not to worry about the victory in the end. Our job is to tell the world about what God does for us. Is to tell the world how God cared for us in our failure. Is to tell the world how God met us when we needed him most. We don't have a ton of time, but... um, If you've ever been in this situation, you know what we're talking about and you know what Elijah was feeling. And I just want to let you know, if you ever come to a time where you just feel like this is too much and you want to say, I've had enough, Lord, let someone know. Find someone who will pray with you. Find someone who will pray alongside you. Find someone who you can rely on and just say, I need help. Because the other great thing, and we've talked about this in here before, one of the reasons I think God gave Elijah, Elisha, after this, was that he realized, not that God needed to change, but that Elijah needed help, and so he gave him Elisha. And I think when we go through hard times as a church body, we need to come together and pray for each other and lift each other up, knowing that we're not doing this alone either. That God uses all of us together to help comfort and to help heal and to be there for us when we've just had enough. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for Elijah. Lord, it's an odd prayer, but I thank you also for failure. Lord, I know for me many times it's taken failure for me to come back to you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, Lord, and if there is any guilt or shame remaining from failures of the past or, or troubles from the past, Lord, that they would give them to you that they would be free of them, Lord, and be under the light yoke of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for freedom. Thank you for healing. And I thank you for our failures, Lord. I pray that they would lead us to you, and they would lead us to a restful, peaceful time. Lord, we love you. I pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Uh, I'd like to invite the uh, the band back up uh, for a couple of closing songs.